Welcome to a new segment of Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. During this interview, we had the honor of interviewing writer and musician Josh Mallerman. He is a force as an author of a critically acclaimed horror novel called Bird Box, which is going to very soon become a major motion picture. He is also the lead singer and guitarist for the very crazy, talented, and underrated band, The High Strung. It's an American rock band that has been forging tasty music to the public since 2000, and you can hear their track, The Luck You Got, as the title song in Showtime series, Shameless. During our interview, he covered a long list of topics. He's a great cat, and he has a lot to give to the world creatively. It's refreshing. Please enjoy it. First of all, thank you very much for uh, spending a little time talking with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for like, being here. Are you kidding? Cool, man. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of start here at the uh, kind of the alpha of your life and just find out where were you born and raised? Well, it was a suburb of Detroit called West Littlefield. So, as a kid, what were some of your best memories? Um, man, uh, it's fun, you know, making up, um, what me and my brothers used to call adventure games, where we would, it, it, this is funny, it's neat if this traces easily to a, uh, um, a writer's life, but we would, like, make up characters and, and situations and blah, 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 and ask them out, you know, outside of the yard, rain, snow, sun, whatever. Um, me and my brothers, and we saw an adventure game. Hey, you want to go play an adventure game? That's essentially all it was, was us, like, you know, making up characters and acting them out for the day. Very cool. So let me ask you this, and I don't want to get stuck on horror films, but what what are, what were some of the horror films that really stuck in your mind? As man, that was that was good, man. That stuck with me throughout all these years. Every Halloween, I can go back to that, and it scares me. What what really stuck with you? I, that list is so long, but I have um, what's it called? Real a seminal moment with the movie uh, Twilight Zone. The movie, you ever see that one? Yeah, man, that was a great film. Well, you know, it came. I don't know what year it came out. Eighty-five, whatever. Something about ten years old. And, and I remember um, my uncle, like, hey, he was like, hey, you gotta see this movie, blah blah blah. He put it in. It was a VHS tape. Maybe I was twelve. Who knows? Whatever. But he put on the tape, and um, I just watched it alone at his house while my brothers were playing with my cousins and. And it was it was like the first like horror movie I had ever seen, and I, that was it. I was blown away. Yeah. And I was scared. I was like excited. Ray and told my brothers about it. I told them when at school that kind of thing. I just immediately was sold. So, look, you know, my love of film as a genre is so rich and so varied. But it all definitely started with Twilight on the movie when my uncle played in that movie. Yeah. Well, you know, The Twilight Zone was way ahead of its time. Rod Serling was doing something that was mind-blowing, you know. Mind-blowing, yeah, I know. You know, and then to have this film come out. You know, the great thing about The Twilight Zone is, when I was a kid, that guy on the airplane wing freaked me out, but now it's that Anthony kid that I'm older. It's like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that... And that's the thing about vignette movies like that. You know, it's like reading a good book after, you know, a decade or when you're an adult versus being a kid. It's like, man, everything kind of changes a little bit, but it's still great, you know. Uh, I had a similar experience with The Exorcist, the book. Yeah. Where, you know, I read it and, you know, everything from the movie, you know, stands out, right? You know, all those, those, those landmark scenes. There's a scene in the book that didn't make it in the movie where, where Reagan is in the kitchen um, 
talking about Captain Howdy, right? Yeah. Uh, and the mom's like, uh, oh, uh, Reagan, is, where's Captain Howdy now? And Reagan just points to like the entrance of the kitchen. He's like, oh, it's right there. Yeah. And I'm always like, that just like really screwed me up. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, oh, God, he's been like just standing in the kitchen with mom the whole time, you know? <laughs> and somehow that one didn't make it into the movie. But so, I, yeah, you're right, like, yeah totally totally but that's the beauty of storytelling it's it stays with you forever and it changes but it changes in a good way so um let me switch a little bit from film and as a musician what were your favorite bands growing up Yeah, I think the beauty of friends is that they can really give you that gift of music in more ways than one, you know? Just because it was fun, 
wanted because it was, you know, felt good, right? Yeah. But at age 19, when that happened, it was like, okay, you know that thing that is really fun and that you love to do? Why don't you get serious about that and actually do this? Yeah. And then that's, that's kind of where it all, like, settled in. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the theme of that would be called The Birth of a Dream, you know? That's, pr that's pretty cool. Do you remember the time where you kind of rounded that corner and fell in love with reading? Yeah, I do, because my parents um, had bought, um, bought me, like, a... Can I want to find this book, and I looked on eBay, with, eBay before. It was some book about these weird cougar animals that eat, like, all these... Yeah. Eat all that food in town. It was like a little scary. It was, I don't remember exactly what it was about, but my parents bring brought home a book and I opened it and read the entire thing to them. It was, you know, I don't know how long it was, but I read it to them and they were both like, Oh, Josh, you just, you just read a whole book. You, you can read, like, you know, you can read now, right? <laughs> and I remember that in that, just, just that little sliver of encouragement. They're like, you know, Oh, but again, we're impressed or something and I loved the book and and that, I mean, immediately led to a lifetime of reading. And there was a thing called the Pine Tree Book Awards. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that or know that, but but it was a contest who could read the most books in, like, in the like, school districts, you know? Yeah. And I remember I came in third to be like, oh, a Japanese girl. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I went to like, a big ceremony and everything, and the mom went with me, and I got like third place in the Pine Tree Book Awards. It was so <laughs> exciting, you know? And that's, that's like what fifth grade. Yeah, that's cool, man. So, why do you write? What What is it about you that makes you feel complete as a person to write? Well, you know what? I used to, I used to say that I felt completely motivated by like, guilt because I didn't write. I, I felt guilty. Yeah. I think that's almost, that almost paints a picture of a very dark scenario. You know, a man writing like, uh, um, to, to satiate something versus to celebrate something. Right. And I think at some point I realized, you know what, yes, you do feel guilty when you don't write, but you also feel really fucking good when you do write. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I, I think what it is for me is that I'm not a, like, realist in any way. Um, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, you know, when I watch a documentary, I'm like, well, it's just great, but it's biased. And, and if I watch a movie that's on a, you know, real a real subject like you know like a struggling mom or something I'm like okay but it's still fiction like I'm always aware with art that no matter how realistic it's trying to be it's still fiction yeah. so or it's, you know what I mean so yeah. with that in mind I kind of walked the path of well if it's fiction man it's all fiction let's let's drop the imagination into a catapult and fire yeah. let's just let it go and <laughs> and so it's when I'm doing that yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, Mark Twain said when he looked back on his life, he didn't regret what he did; he regretted what he didn't do. So, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. So, let's talk about music. That sounds like a very integral part of your existence. And when did that? When did making music become something to you that I would? You, you were like, "This is going to be something I'm going to do for the rest of my life." Uh, I had been, again, I had been writing forever, right? So I had this, I had sort of this pile of really terrible poems. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were all, like, trying to be really dark and deep, right? Uh-huh. And uh, all my, uh, my friends were already, like, playing instruments, right? And all that sort of thing. And I think 
and I didn't think much of it. Oh, Jared plays drums. I go, okay, well, I don't, right? So, but we had this one day where we were all in the basement and, and, a, and another friend started singing all those poems over what my, what my friends were playing, the music they were playing. And that was, that was a huge moment. Right. Because it was the first time I, I heard, like, oh, sh- oh, sh- my God, man, like, like, Mark is singing your words over music, like, these could be songs. Yeah. And it showed it's sort of a big, you know, impenetrable wall of music. Suddenly there's a, there's a little door open at the bottom of it. Wait a minute, you, you can go in here, you can write songs. And, I mean, it was so thrilling, so thrilling. And I think that would be that moment. I remember, I even remember when everyone was standing when that happened. I remember the color of the basement. I remember the, the blue drum set, you know what I mean? Kick ass. That kind of, that kind of moment. So I, I actually kind of credit, again, my friends, but in this particular case, Mark, just picking up those poems and reading them and singing them, and it just showed me that, hey man, you know, anybody could write a song if they really want to, let's go for it. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's a great story. Um, I want to kind of weave in and have an intro here to, to your band, The High Strung. Uh, about three months, well, probably two months ago, my wife is an avid reader. She's read everything. And I usually get my books on the Kindle and, uh, you know, from uh, different places. And usually the library is not the book that I read. So I go to the library and get a stack of books for her. And there's one laying on a coffee table. And I said, are you already done with that? And she said, no, you have to read this book. And I look down, and it says Bird Box. And I pick it up, and I'm like, man, that's... And it pulls me in, and I go, and I swallowed that book up. I didn't know who you were or your band was. I got involved with the High Strung. So I had an instant moment of getting totally into your creative uh, vibe. And it's... I love the High Strung. I, I love your book. Um, so your music... You have to be one of the least known yet most talented bands that I've run into in at least the last decade. <laughs> Very easily. So give me a little bit of a backdrop of the band and how it started. Uh, well, you know, I'm, well, it's funny that you said what you just said one time, uh, the LA Times voted one of our albums the second most, like, you know, um, overlooked album of the year, right? Yeah. And we were, and I was like, oh, this is great, Derek, you know, they gave, um, hit the guess. Uh, they gave it, gave it the second most overlooked, and Derek goes, oh, good, maybe next year will be the second most looked album of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is, um, you know, it's a weird spot to be in with what you were just saying. I, what, um, you know, what, it all began with that day with Mark, for sure, playing songs, singing songs, and I realized I could start radio. And really what happened was, my younger brother's friend, Chad, was a bass player, and, and, and Derek, Mark, and I were starting to play together, and we needed a bass player, and we, we had moved to New York City, and we're like, oh, we're going to go to New York and write songs. I mean, what a, you know, we're 23 years old, what a moment, you know? Yeah. And we're, we're out there, and we're broke, but we're like, you know, you go to your weird job in the big city that you don't know, and then you get on the subway, you go home and start working on songs. And I would call Chad constantly, hey man, you gotta, you gotta quit college and just come out here and be in our band. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, 
you like, what, what are you doing? What are you going to finish? Well, if you want to join it, you know. And he kept saying, no, no, no. And finally, um, one day, we, the promise to God, doorbell rings, we answer the door, and Chad's soccer is there. And he's like, finish school. Um, my friend was driving out to, like, Vermont for, like, a fish show or something. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> and then he's like, and I asked her to drop me off here, so I'm, I'm here now. We were like, whoa, uh, <laughs> wow, okay, hi, wow. So Chad just moved into our, like, boss with us, and we just had what a, what a year of just nonstop recording and writing songs. That led to uh, um, a friend of ours getting us a gig in, like, Ohio. Yeah. And we're like, Ohio, what does that mean? What do you mean? We're going to go play a show in Ohio? You know, we were... We didn't even know what that really meant back then, you know? Yeah. So we drive from New York to Ohio, play the show, and on the way back, we were all like, wow, that was, that was awesome. That was amazing. We just drove, played the small town, you know, 30 people were there, they danced, we had fun, we all drank, what a night, you know? And so we were kind of like, you know what, Let, let's, 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 let's go on the road. That idea just ballooned into six years of being out on the road. And the reason why was, we, you know, we would go for like two or three months at a time, and then it's like, what, what are we, why are we paying for apartments in New York City? Like, what are we, we're not even there anymore. Yeah. So, we got rid of our apartments. Well, now you're just touring, you don't even have a place to live. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, literally, we were touring for, like, I'm honestly like, 240 shows a year, that kind of thing. Wow. And just nonstop, you know, going back from, like, all the way from Miami to Seattle. I mean, everywhere. And, and, and it never got old. Because, yeah. like, you know, you wouldn't be back in Seattle again for another, like, three, four months. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a sense that you had, like, relationships growing with people in all these different cities. It really started to feel like America was much smaller than I, than I had always thought it was because we circled it, I don't know, 20 times. Wow, that's cool, so, man. It, it was, you know, in hindsight, it seems like a real linear story. Oh, you got your friends, they play music, they get you into it, you start playing, you know, you get good in practice, you start playing out, and you tour. But, and that makes total sense. Like, while doing it, 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 it was all like, there was no, like, real conscious decision. It felt like it just felt like things just kept like going and going and momentum and ballooning and you know our shows we would play for like 10 people and have like the time of our lives yeah like all the time that's cool you know, I always joke that you know we play like 2,000 shows for about 2,000 people <laughs> yeah yeah you know what yeah. you know I remember saying to Derek at the end of that that road run I was like hey whether we you know sold a million records tomorrow or if we broke up tomorrow like I don't think we're ever going to be able to replace or beat this trash that we've had these like six years of I mean six years that's like two and a half you know yeah man that's a long time just playing music with your buddies and and you know and the fighting was minimal because we had already gone through that when we were in like eighth and ninth grade <laughs> you know what I mean it wasn't, it wasn't like being really get, like sick of each other, it's, we all just have eyes on the fact that listen, playing your songs in Minneapolis is more fun than the day job you would have back home. No so shit. Let's keep going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Guys, we just never lost sight of that. We got a little bit older now. Now I'm 39 years old, and the idea—I mean, I remember waking.
looking up at someone's laundry room, you know, opening my eyes and seeing the bottom of the laundry tub, you know? <laughs> um, like, that idea sounds a little crazy to me today, you know? But, but, but otherwise, other than that sort of, like, naturally getting older and saying, uh, yeah, never any real problems between us and just, like, a, a, like a legitimate love for, like, making albums. That's cool, man. That's a that's a great story. So, over two two thousand to two thousand fourteen, you have fifteen albums, and today the Showtime series Shameless has your song profiled. Millions of people are hearing it. How does this feel for you and the band? You know what? It, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before. Which, by the way, I I have zero um, regrets or animosity towards the idea of that um, that we're not quote unquote famous. Like zero. Uh, we. throttle down to like the cellular level here and ask what is a typical day like for you Things and that yeah, that's that's about all. That's 
really honestly all I do. That's beautiful, man. So, what did your bandmates think after all these years? Now you have a best-selling book, Harper Collins. You're a big literary guy. What are they thinking? What's what was the thing when you published this book and kind of went on this lineage? What what they say? I mean, they, they were like, I mean, again, like best friends. They were like ecstatic. I mean, it, it's like I wrote, I think, eight books while 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 riding shotgun. Yeah. In the tour van, you know what I mean? Yeah. So where the drummer would be driving, and Chad would be in the back reading or whatever, and I would be in the passenger seat, like hammering away at the, the keyboard, right? So, I mean, they've, they've seen me, like, writing books and songs for years, years, and I think that they were all just like, holy cow, you know? I do think that all three of us have a slight, slight, like, sadness, but something that's sort of like, oh man, I wish, you know, this was happening for all three of us. Yeah. You know, we, we toured the country like crazy, and, and holy cow, have the three of us been through like that artistic sort of cycle together. And so there is a, it just itself of, like, man, I wish this was all happening for all of us, but you know what? It's okay. Everything's great. Like, like they saw me working on this forever, things are working out, it's wonderful. And who knows, maybe success of Birdbox will result in more awareness for the highest throne. One thing we cannot do is stop now. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, come on, with the book thing is amazing. You know, I gotta write us another album or finish writing us another album. And then let's get, you know, let's make it. And, and who knows, maybe some attention from the, from the book will lead to that and the theme song and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, so, to answer your question, they're obviously really happy for me. Yeah. But I think that not, we all want to make sure that it doesn't mean that because that's going well, the other side stops. Right. It doesn't have to be that way. Right on. So, how did you come up with the idea for Bird Box? You know, I'm just like constantly, constantly thinking of, I don't want to say horror ideas, but something similar to that. Um, and I love it. How about this? I, I just don't think... I have anything yet to add to like the you know the werewolf vampire like like universe right it's just and I'm not, I'm not gonna even say it's so overdone there's some amazing things yeah I just find myself looking constantly for a more let's say abstract monster yeah and so I at some point I love the concept of infinity like personified right right that you just cannot fathom. You can't encounter it. You can't. You just. You cannot understand it. And if you were to encounter it, it would be the same as trying to fathom infinity. It would scramble your mind. Or, 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 or you know, they say a man stood at the end of like space boundary. Like you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. That whole thing. Yeah. So I like the idea of that being on your front porch. Like standing outside. Sure. It's like you wake up, you go downstairs, you go to open the door, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, infinity's out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so I liked that, and then I just randomly, not even sure exactly how or why, had an image in mind of a woman traveling down a river blindfolded and her kids blindfolded. They were fleeing from something. Yeah. And I started to write that. Um, I started with, like the original draft started with Mallory and the kids right on the river, and they're going... It was kind of silly, and the only time I was walking home blindfolded, because I didn't really understand what I was, what I was doing yet, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So I'm like, I'm having them go, and I'm like, where, 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 where are they going? They're just, where, where are they fleeing? And then I'm like, oh, man, they're fleeing a city. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of my, like, aha moment with Red Box, I guess. Right but on. It, happened, it happens pretty early. Like, um, a couple sessions, so let's say three sessions into writing it, I was like, oh, I know what's going on here. And the rough draft from there was just an explosion. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. At any point during the creative writing process, did you blindfold yourself and type? There are times where I, I walked around the apartment, um, eyes closed and all that, and more, thank you, and possibly more, no, I know, I know, yes, I think I did actually, but not to the extent that I kind of wish I had, which was, I should have, I should have walked around the block, you know, <laughs> I you know, I was dating a girl at the time, she could have been near me, if I, you know what I mean, to make yeah. sure I wasn't like, I kind of wish I would have done that. I didn't do that. Sure, now I guess. Yeah. But I, what I did have in that room with me were five finches who I never put in their cage. So these birds were like flying back and forth in this big sort of like loft. Well, it used to be like a ballroom that I was like renting as an apartment pretty much. Yeah. Wow, that's cool, man. As you can imagine, that was really cool, yeah. That's intense, that's cool. So, you know, the journey to getting a book published, especially with HarperCollins, has to be a long trek. How did this happen? The story of how I, like, met them is, is almost ridiculous. It's, it's a testament to um, stick-to-itiveness, but it's also a testament to, like, hey, man, you know, anybody who succeeds probably has a little luck involved. Um, because I, you know, I, I just figured, I don't know if you know this, I've written about 20 novels now. Yeah. And I would write on Facebook, you know, oh, I finished another book today, I finished a rough draft, you know. Yeah. I'm so excited. And this one friend of mine from high school called me up. He's like, hey, Josh, you, you keep saying that, you know, you're finishing all these books. I know a, an entertainment lawyer who specializes in, in authors, you know. And I was like, oh. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, so my wife, Carrie, read this book before me. And then when I read it and we were done, she said, I have a feeling that the force in this book that we never saw 
could be benign, could actually be positive. And I said, you have to be out of your mind. There's no way that it was anything other than something sinister. So I want to ask you, what do you think about that whole scenario? <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Um, okay. What is your, what's your last name? Carrie. Yeah, Carrie. Uh, I, 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 it's funny, because while I was writing it, there, was, there were moments where I was like, wait a minute. I don't... There was too many things that stacked up to malicious, but it's an interesting theory to think that, hey, maybe it was like the, uh, the valise in Pulp Fiction. You really are opening it up to get blinded by goodness, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but l let me ask, let me kind of present, paint a picture, a, a Rockwellian uh, picture for you real quick. You just got picked up to get this to be a movie. Opening night, you sit down. Do you think there's going to be any better feeling than to see a really good representation of this book on screen? No. No, I don't. I, that, to me, you know how people say, uh, it's beyond my wildest dreams. That's, I think that, that right there would be my wildest dream. To sit down, and as you said, to see a really good representation. Oh, are you kidding? Like, that would, as a horror fan, and to know, like, if there's something... Almost like um like 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 mafia is or clubbish about about the horror fan where if a movie like let's say The Conjuring um The Conjuring has been welcomed into the group we all we the majority of us agree The Conjuring is a good one you know what I mean yeah and so now The Conjuring will forever there'll be the 30 year anniversary of The Conjuring it'll be on the cover of Sanguinea magazine it'll be on talks about like we're talking about it right now in conversations about a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that thing, you know, because there's a lot of horror movies that you're like, oh man, what's this one? Slosh, right? I mean, come on, just like any quote unquote genre, there's a lot you have to kind of sift through to find those gems. The gems are worth all the 50 
Yeah, that would be very cool. You know, I keep thinking about, I don't know if you read the uh, collection of short stories by Joe Hill called 20th Century Ghosts. I read the, um, the story, That's New Horror. Yeah, I, I kept thinking about that when you were describing that. Um, what a great story that is. It, you just, I just kept thinking about that. <laughs> My God, it was. It was totally mind-blowing. You get to the end, you're like, holy shit, just run, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, just run, get out of there. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad place, man. You smell bacon and see those dudes, you turn around and get your ass out right now. So, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, I, I'm, I got about five more questions here for you, and I'm going to ask you this. And, and, and this, this is not going to be an easy question, but it's something to think about. If you had to pick music or writing right now, and you had to, what would you pick? Okay, like, I absolutely have to pick. Yeah. Like that's the game, right? That, you know, it's no fun to say, you know, you know, it's no fun to say both or either, neither, because that's not the game. The game is you have to pick. Um, yeah, one or the other. Then, then I absolutely would take writing. Um, because, you know, that's what, that was, uh, from the start, that's what got me into music. Like, I told you about the poems and all that, and, and, um, you know, I, like, well, that's, that is interesting, because I guess if I, if I pick music, I'd still be writing, right? Yeah. But I, then, you know, So let's get into a little bit of hero talk real quick here. If you could meet anyone, alive or not, who would it be and what would you want to talk to them about? Well, you know, man, I have a few. I mean, obviously, and I feel like you know that this one's coming. Um, I would love to sit down with Stephen King and talk to him about, hey, man, what, how did you feel in those early, early days? when you realize that you're, that you were becoming like a, a trusted, you know, staple killer of like the horror genre. Like, like how satisfying was that? How, how, how much pressure did that put on your next book? Yeah. Um, how, like, were you, did you feel like you were being over-edited in the early days? Did you feel like you were loose as a goose? Did you feel like you weren't edited enough? I would ask him a lot of questions about what it was like before he was, or, or as he was becoming a quote-unquote brand name, because I, I think just that moment must have been so bizarre, so surreal, so profound for him that I, I just, you know, I wonder, I mean, you know, even if you're the kind of guy that's like, oh, I knew I was going to be a place to follow along, well, okay. When it actually happens, that, that has to, has to do something to you, or for you, or, or to you, or whatever. Yeah. So that, that's one person, for sure, I'm going to talk to him a lot about that moment in time. But I also would love to, you know, it's the whole, like, you can sit down at dinner with one person. I would love to sit down at, at dinner at Agatha Christie's house <laughs> and just be like, hey, uh, Agatha. Would you mind just telling us a story? <laughs> <laughs> and then right away, oh, well, yes, um, you know. And then she, then we would all be like blown away on paragraph in. We'd all be like, oh, fuck, that's the best story I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Holy shit, there she goes again. <laughs> there she goes again. I love her. Um, and I love, um, there's some other guys like Hitchcock, Woody Allen, Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices, who I have met and um, hung out with. Right on. I would love to talk to like those people about they're known, they're almost like chastised for being so prolific, so is Stephen King. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. What's the greatest thing about being a musician? I think, you know, I used to think that it was making an album, the idea of, like, you are documenting where you're at you know, emotionally. And, uh, I mean, you can argue, like, technically how good you are, that kind of thing, but more, like, emotionally. And, you know, fans in, like, the 60s, they put out, like, two albums a year, right? Yeah. And nowadays, it seems like a band puts out an album like every two years. And one of the problems that happens is that like the Beatles and the Who and all that, we were able to watch them grow, right? Yeah. Because they were, because we were, they were documenting this growth. Whereas a band like the Strokes put out an album two years go by and then there's gotta be this incredible pressure. So then the next album sounds like the first album. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I, I used to think that it was a matter of like, you know, documenting yourself is, is the best. And not, not in a, not, you know, I, I, that sounds like narcissistic or something, but not, not in that way. Just, it, just it's an exciting thing to do to, to document your own growth and to see it in other bands. Now, though, there's just no question that playing your song of life to any amount of people in any city is just about the most rewarding thing you can do. I mean, it's just, it's so great, man. Yeah. When you're standing up on stage with your friends and you, and you actually nail it, you know, you can feel it, oh, yeah, it's like, it's right on, right on point and then Chad's playing great and I'm singing well and that whole thing, oh, it, it, it's, it's, so now my, my answer to that is, is the live show. Yeah. You know, it, it, it seems to me that you get to live on both the lit side of Earth and the dark side of Earth because you get to witness people taking extreme pleasure in your creativity by being on stage and then you get to hear about people being pleased by something that you probably will rarely ever see which is people reading your books and getting that glow what is that like uh, you know I'm, i still don't even really know you know the book came out like six months ago you know i still don't really know how to respond with like i, I get messages every day 
how to really, you know, articulate to them how much that means to me. I mean, you come off on it like, oh, thank you. Thank you, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and you're thinking inside, like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, it, it is honored, y'all. There's been, you know, there's some, like, reviews online where people don't like it, too, but, you know, the good have found out way the bad so far. It's interesting also, by the way, to have this happening in this era versus, like, the 80s. Yeah. Because, I mean, not only do you see everyone's opinion online, but you, if you if you wanted to, you're a click away from engaging with any of those people. Yeah, true. And, I mean, sometimes it's tempting when someone wrote, writes an incredible review or something on, like, Amazon, you kind of want to be like, wow, hey, Bob, thank you. And then if someone writes one, see, that's not like a philosophical question. What do you do if somebody... Um, right to review, and it's not necessarily bad, but they just got something wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, um, there's one that says, there's this one, um, a review on Amazon that was like, his influences are showing, and then it listed the books. Well, the Rock Chapter Bird Box was written before that book they're talking about came out. I agree with him that my influences are showing, but it wasn't that book. Right. So how do you, what do you do? You're a click away from saying that. Right. And it used to be, it used to be like you're not engaged with like a negative, you know, review, you know. Yeah. You can see because, you, you know, but that philosophy is more like from the 90s when engaging and like writing the magazine a letter. Yeah. What do you, what do, you do now yeah. in 2014 when you're a click away from, uh, actually, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, you are, you're a moment, you're a moment away from a digital hug or a digital middle finger. I mean, one way or another, you can, you can do it quick if you want to, you know. Yeah, and there's, you know, there are guys, girls who are like, I wouldn't say famous for it, but known to engage, you know? Yeah. Be like, hey, no, 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 you know? And there's others who don't say a word no matter what. And so far, I've been that, you know, ladder camp. And I'm not convinced that I want to stay there. Right, sure, <laughs> sure. Time will tell. Josh, I got one more question here for you, and this may be the easiest or the hardest one, but I want you to describe to me, who are you in the length of a tweet? 144 characters, who are you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can, no, you can... You, you can go. You can go over it a little bit. Yeah, I just. I just thought about that. That little Anthony in Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, whatever I am, it's 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 I'm definitely an optimist who who is in love with you know the imagination in all its forms, and that's that explains you know that's what ties together the rock and roll with horror stories with, you know, silly cartoons, with crazy, absurd movies, those kind of things. Like, um, I've, I've been asked before, I know I'm well over the tweet limit now, but I've been asked before, you know, like, oh, you know, how do you reconcile these, like, scary novels with these somewhat, like, bright pop songs, you know? Yeah, sure. And, and, and the way I see it is, like, it, it really is coming from the same place, like, like, the kind of guy that would be like, hey, let's dance to this song, might be the kind of guy that's like, ooh, 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 turn the, turn the lights off, you gotta, you gotta watch this scene, man, this is scary as hell. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Ye
was, I, if I had to tweet, I'd say something like, I'm a, you know, optimistic clown in, 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 in love with the imagination. That's beautiful, man. Hey, Josh, man, you are a creative force. It's been a huge pleasure to, to get the chance to interview you and uh, and uh, just hear it firsthand. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. You know, it's funny because you wrote, you know, like, hey, can you go to this interview or uh, uh, talk in the near future? And I'm like, yeah. And then you're like, how much fun? I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And so I'm really, really excited that you wrote and that we did it, like, right away. I love that kind of... Uh, Right on. Um, and thank you for You got a bright future ahead of you. Love your music, love your uh, your books, man. I look forward to all of them. They're going to come out from here on out. So thank you very much again. Oh man. Okay. Thank you very much. Now, now I'm going to go rewrite with a little more time to mess up. Thank you. <laughs> right on, man. Hey, have a good day and, and take it easy. Okay, you too. Thanks for listening and tuning in to a famous interview with Joe Domino segment where we give you a bit of insight into the creative forces that are making audiences imagine and crowds contend. And thanks to Josh Mallerman for his time, stories, and candid insights. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. And until next time, enjoy the world of creativity, my friends. 